tonight, great choice of songs, and uh, perfectly leading us into a discussion uh, that we're going to have tonight on the subject of resolving conflict biblically. I know it's shocking that I would come to a marriage group and talk about resolving conflict because nobody ever faces that in marriage, but if you will indulge me for a few moments, maybe you'll find this practical for somebody else. Um, but if you don't find tonight practical and it's not helpful, uh, I don't know if you know this, we have a sponsor uh, in Thrive, and uh, they did a little promo. If, if you don't get help from us, maybe this, this might help you if there's conflict in, in your relationships. Does this ever happen to you? So where do you want to go tonight? Oh, I don't care, babe, wherever. Why don't you uh, choose a restaurant? No, sweetie, I really don't care. Wherever you want to go is fine. I would love it if you chose where we wanted to eat tonight. Mike, seriously, I want to go where you want to go. So whatever you choose is fine with me. Just All pick. right, let's get Italian. Are you serious right now? I was kind of hoping for Chinese. Don't let misunderstanding your spouse ever lead to a conflict again. All you need is our new app, the Spouse Translator. So, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't care, babe. Wherever you want to go is fine. I don't care, babe. Wherever you want to go is fine. Translating. I want to be polite. This is why I won't share my opinion even though I would rather eat Chinese food. It translates what your spouse is saying into what they really mean. Hey babe, my mom wants us to go apple picking with her on Sunday. Does that sound good? Uh, I, sh I think I have plans on Sunday. Oh. Yeah. I think I have plans on Sunday. Translating. You know very well that I will be watching football. I would rather die than go apple picking with your mother. From now on, you'll always know what your spouse is thinking. The Spouse Translator. So if we can't help you communicate better, maybe you just pick that up. I think it's only like $5.99 in the App Store. None of the proceeds go to me. Um, yeah. Breakdown in communication is often the cause of a lot of conflict. Uh, and unfortunately, the way that a lot of married couples handle conflict is much like, if you know anything about uh, war history, I think it was the First World War, where they, the style of warfare was called trench warfare, where they would embed themselves in these trenches, and they would, you know, throw fire at each other or throw bombs at one another, and they'd shoot from the trenches, and that's how it took so long to get war uh, over. The fighting would just be so slow and uh, so uh, methodical uh, that it would just take forever because the sides were just, I'm in my side, you're on your side, and we're just going to come up and we're going to shoot at one another every now and then, but we're never really going to get anything done. And unfortunately, that typically leads to a lot of big uh, explosions later on when conflict just arises to the point where it can no longer be uh, helped. There was a, <laughs> a time where, at that time in uh, history, the most dangerous uh, job in warfare would have been the messenger. They sent messengers in between the bunks uh, because they couldn't communicate with one another other way. So you would run up and you would hope you wouldn't get shot in between the, uh, the bunks, in between the two people who are doing that. I kind of feel like the messenger tonight because you might be in conflict with somebody in this room and uh, they're on one side, you're on the other, and I'm coming in the middle with a message for the two of you. I hope you don't shoot me 
I hope you have an open heart to what I'm going to tell you this evening. And it's going to be a little bit different than we normally do here. It's going to be more of a uh, teaching style component. And then at the end of my teaching, we're actually going to bring up two people on our counseling staff. And we're going to get up here. We're going to have an open Q&A. We'll throw up a number either sometime during the message or at the end. You can text in your questions about conflict resolution, uh, stuff we're saying here. And then hopefully be able to get some real-time response uh, to what you guys are experiencing right now in uh, conflict. So keep those questions in mind. Get ready to text them in and we will... Um, do this. Open your Bibles with me to uh, Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. I want to talk about resolving conflict. I'm going to give you three, three things to keep in mind. Resolving conflict. Proverbs 16. We're going to start somewhere that I don't know we always think we should start when we're resolving conflict. I think sometimes Uh, When we're focusing on resolving conflict, we're thinking about how can we deal with the other person. But I want to start somewhere that might seem kind of counterintuitive. I was reading a book about uh, famous inventions in America and the guy who came up with uh, air conditioning. Uh, The way that the author described or the, the, the people of his time described how he came up with air conditioning was this line. He came up with an insight so counterintuitive that it still dazzles today. And I thought that is, uh, it's, it's interesting to, to put it that way when we think about conflict. I'm going I'm to pitch something to you at the beginning that might seem so counterintuitive when we're talking about uh, how to resolve conflict, but I think if you adopt this, it's going to help you out immensely. And let's write down, number one, this way on that, let's write down the preparation, okay? I'm going to give you a, some imperative points under the preparation, but we need to prepare for conflict. I hope you expect conflict. We live in a world that uh, has sin in it. It's not perfect. We're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. There will be conflict among people. And if we just accept the reality and realize, hey, conflict's going to come at some point in time, I better be prepared, you are going to handle conflict a whole lot better. And that's why I had you turn to Proverbs chapter 16, because I think it helps us prepare so well for conflict. Great words here from Solomon, Proverbs 16, 1 to 9. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is going to really help us as we begin to prepare for conflict that's going to come. And how do we do this? Well, under the preparation... You've got to make sure you know whose plan you're following, okay? Make sure you know whose plan you're following. Because what is going to initially cause a lot of conflicts amongst people is when plans get mixed up. This text in Proverbs and basically the rest of the scriptures tell us God has plans, God has purposes, and we need to adopt those. And it's when we refuse to adopt those and we put our own plans or our own purposes as the most important thing that conflicts are going to arise. I mean, that's essentially James' argument in James 4.1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions 
are at war within you. Okay, So there's passions and desires and purposes that you want so much that you're willing to go to war for them. So we need to first get to the point where we say, I know whose, whose plan I'm living according to. I know whose purpose I'm, I'm here for. Did you hear the way that Solomon put it? The plans of the heart, they really belong to man, but sovereignly the Lord has the answer of the tongue. Verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God is in control of history. He's, he's moving it towards a goal. And we even were just singing about the glory that he deserves. So when I begin to wake up every single day and say, God, how can I adopt your focus rather than my focus? I'm going to prepare myself to avoid a lot of needless conflict. It's when I say, well, guess what? I, I want this done. And I want it done this way. And I want it done for this reason. And if you don't match up to that, then you and I are going to have some conflict. But when I can relinquish that, and the greatest way to do that is through prayer, when I relinquish that, I now quit trying to rival God's kingdom, and I just try to live in it as I've been blessed to do by him. If you remember Colossians 1, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, where we could follow our own passions, to now the kingdom of his beloved son. That means I've got to start to relinquish my plans and desires and say, God, what are your plans and your desires? Two things that we can just generally adopt in a marriage to avoid conflict is, number one, always live for the glory of God. That's one plan I need to adopt. I've always got to do that. Romans eleven thirty six: from you to you and through you are all things, to you be the glory forever. We have to adopt that. Romans eleven thirty six says, I've got to adopt that. And then Ephesians 5, which we'll get to later on, we're not going to turn there. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, talking about the purpose of marriage. I've got to adopt that the marriage relationship is designed in such a way as God putting together a billboard that highlights his sacrificial love for the church. That's the reason why you and your spouse are together tonight. If you believe what the Bible says, you're put together for that reason to be an advertisement to the world that this is what genuine, sacrificial, God-like love is. And when that becomes my purpose, now a lot of the things I fight about during the day whether or not the toothpaste should be grabbed in the middle of the, uh, the, the toothpaste tube or at the end when it's clearly the end. I mean, it's not even an argument, but <laughs> such is life at the Elliott household. We'll talk about that later. Whether or not it's that or that, we don't fight about inconsequential things because I know what the most important thing is at that point in time. So I've got to get to the point where I do that. Again, we do that in prayer. Why did Jesus teach his disciples at the beginning to say, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we're so quick to say, well, let me build my kingdom first. Let me sort of lay out my plans and how everything I want to go and then that is where conflicts are going to rise. When we have rival kingdoms fighting down here for no reason at all, why can't we lift our gaze up and say, I want to do what God wants me to do. So let's adopt his purpose and his plans rather than our own. Secondly, let's always make sure that when we're entering into a conflict, we have pure motives. Always make sure you have pure motives. And this is a very tricky thing because we are so quick to give ourselves a pass. We won't give other people a pass when they tell us their motives, but we're quick to give ourselves a pass. But what did our text say? All the ways. Listen, all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. I can look at myself and I can say, my motives are the purest, but what does it say? But the Lord ultimately weighs the Spirit. So have you given permission to God to come in and audit you, right? How many companies like to invite audits? I don't, 
I don't think I've ever been a part of one. Maybe that's a common thing. Bob, is that a common thing? Do, do companies like that? No, they don't like that, right? But it's a good thing in the spiritual life to say, God, you come in, everything's open to you, you weigh my motives, and you expose them, so I know if I'm, if I'm entering into this conflict correctly. Am I going to bring this up for the right reason? Am I doing this for the right motive? God, I want you to tell me that. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the everlasting way. I'm saying, God, come in. Everything's yours. I want you to tell me if I'm doing this right or wrong. Please, please do that. Make sure you have purity of motive. Then thirdly, with the preparation, make sure you believe that God has the prerogative to judge. It is God's right to judge, and you must believe that. Make sure you have that down, and you believe that God has the prerogative to judge. Did you catch the way it said in Proverbs 16? Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. There is a promise from God that the arrogant person who stands up and tries to get his way or build his kingdom, will be judged by God. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that when you enter into conflict, you are no longer going to come as the judge and the jury ready to merit out punishment, but try to solve the conflict in a God-glorifying way. Until you believe this promise, there is really no hope in moving into telling you, hey, this is how you should talk, this is how you should bring it up, because ultimately it will fail unless you believe God is the one who has the prerogative to judge, not me. Do you believe that? Because if you don't, then we don't have a lot of hope for the rest of this to go. Do you understand? I mean, if you're a Christian tonight, right? You're a Christian. You say, I believe that I deserved judgment, but a good and righteous God punished someone else in order that I might not receive this full punishment, okay? God is always going to make sure he carries out punishment even when he offers grace. That's why we're Christians. He gave full vent to his righteous anger in his son. I can know every single time God's going to pay back what needs to be paid back. So you can trust that if you're in a conflict with someone and you think this person is so prideful and so arrogant, I cannot believe what they're doing, you know what? One day they're going to stand before God. And I would hope in your heart you would say, I, I am so heartbroken for that person that they will answer to God for that. Can you imagine? Everything exposed, as Hebrews 4 says, laid open and bare before God. Every single one of those actions, and that person will pay for it? For you to wish that on anyone would show that you don't have any compassion in you. Do you believe God has the prerogative to judge? Do you believe he will do it? Romans 12, make sure you strive to be at peace with everybody Judgment belongs to the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do. You've got to believe that that's going to be the case. Do you believe that? If you don't, if you, if you don't believe this, you're not going to get very successful with the uh, conflict resolution. We've got to believe this. Finally, when we, when we do this, we want to ultimately also live in totality a God-fearing life. Okay? We've got to adopt God's plan. We've got to make sure we have pure motives. We've got to make sure we believe God is a prerogative to judge and not us. And then we've got to live a God-fearing life. Just great verses. By steadfast love, verse 6 of Proverbs 16, and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. 
It is evil to try to take the judgment from God and merit it out yourself. It is evil to be bitter against somebody. It is evil to hold a grudge. It's evil in all these things. If I fear God, I'm going to get away from that, and I'm going to be a tool in uniting the two people who are fighting. But it's where your greatest fear is. Is your greatest fear that the other person is not going to get punished as they should, or is your greatest fear that God might not be glorified in all of this? You've got to be motivated by a greater fear. Uh, I was reading a, a story about uh, one of the uh, people in the U.S. Army, uh, World War II. He was up. He was stringing lines for communication to make sure there was good communication up in a tree. And German fighters are flying over, shooting at him. Okay? They're shooting at him. He's staying up there. And amidst all that's going on, he's making sure he does his job. Uh, General Patton came up underneath him, and he goes, Hey, uh, aren't you scared of those guys who are shooting at you? And he responded back, yeah, absolutely I am. And well, General Patton said, well, then why are you still up there? And he said down to him, he said, because I'm more scared of you. You see, there's a greater fear that held him up there amidst all that could possibly happen to him that kept him up there. So when you're in the stage of conflict, you're either going to fear something that is out here or you've got the greater fear of God. Which one is it? If I've got the fear of God, I'm living a God-fearing life. Well, then I'm going to do things that are pleasing to him. And notice verse 8, if I, or verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Are you striving to live that God-fearing life in every place? Because then that will help you come in, you know, Matthew 7, 1, making sure you are not making hypocritical judgments, but you are coming in being constructive in that sense. Or as Jesus says, I think it's John 7, you will judge rightly then with right motives and right perspective by living that way. We want to make sure we have the preparation. It's counterintuitive to think in conflict between somebody that I should first work at myself. But if I begin that every single day, it's going to help myself avoid conflict that's unnecessary and be useful for the conflict that is. Number two, let's talk about the process real quick. We've talked about the preparation. Let's talk about the process. And this is by no means, I, I don't mean to say that this is going to be mechanical and you're going to follow this you know, step by step. These are just guidelines and principles that I'd offer to help you. First of all, identify the issue. When you have conflict with somebody, if you're ever going to get anywhere, you have to identify the issue, and you have to ultimately come to agreement that this is the issue between the two of you. <laughs> because if one person is on this page and the other person's down here, we can work together all we want, but we're not coming together. So when you have conflict with somebody, at some point in time, you're going to have to sit down together and say, why are we having this conflict? What is, what is the core of the issue. We have to come to agreement on it. Do you understand that that is how our conflict with God begins to go away? You can write down 1 John 1, 9, if you think about it. He says, he's talking in there, you know, if we say that we don't have sin, uh, we lie and do not practice the truth, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, we've talked about in here. Uh, last year when we did 1 John, Pastor Mike's talked about it. Homo legeo, speak the same. Meaning you come to agreement with God at what is the issue between the two of you. It is my sin, God, that is causing the issue between the two of us. You are holy. You have the standard. I thought I was okay. Now, God, I'm saying I'm not. I'm in agreement with you. How can we take care of this? And he says, 1 John 2. I'm going to give you an advocate, Jesus Christ, who's taken the wrath of God and given you his perfection so you might stand before him forgiven. But you've got to come to agreement on the issue. Okay? Secondly, when we come to agreement on the issue, we want to be very good listeners and not quick speakers, right? That's what James says. Uh, 
Everybody must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, James 1, 19. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that is so helpful right there. Because when we have conflict, the desire of every single human being is for rightness, for justice to take place, because we're all created in the image of God. And we desire it so much, but at times we think our anger is what's going to make it right. But we've been given a promise in the Bible. Your anger will never make the situation right. So why don't we adopt that principle and believe it and be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So I, I, I say it this way sometimes in counseling. Maybe some of you have heard this if you've come in and seen me before. I want to work harder at understanding rather than being understood. So when I'm in a conflict with somebody, if I can work harder at understanding them, it means I'm not saying a lot of I, I feel this and I feel that. I'm trying to say, you, oh, you mean this and this is what you're feeling and am I, am I understanding you correctly? I'm talking more about them than I really am about myself. I'm working hard to understand them rather than to make I want this and I want that and I want this. I was reading an interesting article, uh, Laura Rittenhouse, does that name sound familiar to anybody? Financial analyst? Uh, if it means nothing to you, it meant nothing to me, but I thought the illustration was helpful. Uh, she's a financial uh, analyst, and one of the ways, amongst others, that she determines if a company's going to do well or not is she gets the letter from the CEO to the shareholders, and she does this. She counts the number of times the word I is in it. How many number of times the CEO says, I will do this, and I will do that, and this is I, 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 I. And if there's a lot of eyes, she knows the company is going to fail because she says egomaniacs don't lead companies very well. If you're, you know, conversing with somebody in a conversation and they're just saying I, 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 chances are we're not getting very far because all they want to do is just promote their point of view. If you want resolving conflict, how about listening to the other person? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, okay? So once we've gotten to that point, We've identified the issue, we've listened to the other person, we've probably figured out, was somebody responsible, okay? Who was the responsible party? Who was the offender? Whenever you find that out, I'm begging you to take responsibility. That's the next thing. Take responsibility if you're the offender, as quickly as you can. I did this, I said this, we're both in agreement, that's wrong. I am so sorry, will you forgive me? The quicker you can do that, the better it will be for you. And you just write down uh, Psalm 32. Right next to that, I want to read it to you. Listen to this. Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Listen to verse 3 through 5. Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away, though my groanings were with me all day and night. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So there are two distinct paths that you can choose to do. You come to agreement, hey, I did this, and you can choose not to ask for forgiveness and have that weight of guilt be on you or you can say, I did this. I'm accepting responsibility Will you please forgive me? The quicker you can do that, the faster you're going to end conflicts. So we need to make sure we are taking responsibility. Then for the offendee, the person who's been offended, you need to be quick to forgive. 
That is so tough when you realize that the other person is in the wrong. We're having conflict. We're discussing. We've both said, okay, you know what? We both agree I'm wrong here. And you want to justify it. You want to say, no, you're right. See, look, this is, this is where it is. But here's Ephesians 5.1, which is so powerful. We'll look at this in a few weeks. Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgive one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 5.1, Therefore, be imitators of God. I don't think there's anything more godlike than to forgive someone when they don't deserve it. That is the reason why you are a Christian. If you're here tonight saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, you're forgiven because someone was so quick to forgive you when you deserved it the least, how can you not reciprocate that? Because we have to have that if you're going to say we're going to solve conflicts biblically. If not, don't be a hypocrite and say you're a Christian. And that's the argument of Matthew 18, 22 to 39 or 37. The wicked slave who says, oh, I've been forgiven this great debt, and then the small one I can't forgive. You're not really, you've not really been forgiven by the king. Then finally, after we've done all this, we've identified the issue, we've worked hard at uh, listening. If I'm the offender, I've accepted responsibility. If I'm the offendee, I've quickly forgiven. Finally, try to find a resolve if possible. Say, then we both agree, you know what, from now on, I'm going to try not to do this to step on your toes anymore. Or now on, I'm going to pray about this before I come to you. Or now on, I'm going to do this. If you can give hope and guidance for the future, that's going to help end further conflicts because you have a stated goal. And it might be you just don't even know what to do, but just say, hey, I'm going to keep this in constant prayer so I don't act like this again. That might be the only resolve you can give, but that's not just a cop-out if you're a genuine Christian. That's dependent, dependency on God himself. We want to find um, a resolve. Finally, if I could just say, we've, we've looked at the uh, preparation. We've talked about the process. If we could just talk about the posture, and we've already kind of said it in here. We must adopt a posture of humility. The only way this is ever going to be accomplished is if we're humble as Christ was. So we need to adopt this. And uh, go with me to James chapter 4. Listen to this whole section, how it ties almost everything that we said together. We've got to adopt the posture of humility. James 4, 1. We're going to read all the way down to verse 10. Actually, you know what? Verse 12, it looks like it even fits in the context. We'll go all the way down there. 1 to 12. What causes quarrels? I quoted this earlier. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. We'll talk about that in a moment. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We have two choices in a conflict. I can adopt the world's method of promoting myself and protecting myself and caring about myself, or I can adopt the methods of God and say, I'm in this for the glory of God and good of others. I have two choices, and one side God is on, and one side is the friendship with the world. Look at verse 5. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those are two great lines right there. 
it gets back to what we said. Do we believe the scriptures? Do I believe that I should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? Whenever you're getting ready to enter into a conflict, look up James chapter 4 and say this. Does the scripture say for no reason that I should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Can you ask yourself that question? Because of course the outcome is, of course it does not speak in vain about this. It wants me to live this out. Well, if that's what the scriptures want, then I better respond to it. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has within you. And we got to make sure that we are humbling ourselves so that we're an effective tool in God's hand. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourned and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and notice this, he will exalt you. What a fantastic phrase. Again, going back to the belief, not only of God as judge, but is God the king who's going to bless the servant who comes in and does what he says. That's going to feel so much better than lashing out at the person. You think for that moment, you know, that that deception, that sin says you let them have it and you will feel good and for three seconds it lasts and then you feel guilty. But God is offering you everlasting joy in his presence when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Do you desire that? Do you believe that holding your tongue and offering self-control will be exalted by God one day? To have that description given of you, you are a faithful servant, you did what I was asking you to do, should be your ultimate goal and desire, and you will handle conflicts very well. But all of this is hinging on our obedience to the Word of God in times of crisis. Uh, In that book I was referencing earlier about the people who have uh, invented great things, uh, one of the inventions was uh, the mag light. Anybody got a mag light? Guys out there love mag lights, right? They're great, great mag lights. Well, he was talking about the guy who did it and his striving for excellence, and he was sharing some of the uh, letters that were given to him by some of his faithful customers. Uh, one of them was given to, them, to him by a person uh, who was at the ground floor of the World Trade Center after it had been hit. This is the letter he wrote. I'm a licensed electrician, uh, electrical contractor in New York City. I'm a survivor of the massive terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. We are the house electricians for the lease owners of the Trade Center, and I, along with one other colleague, was trapped in uh, Building 7 of the World World Trade, what is that, WTS? World Trade Center, yeah, thank you very much, at the very time that the first tower imploded. Just prior, four seconds to the debris was the World World Trade Center number two. The first tower fell, and my colleague and I were in the lower lobby along with several other personnel from several different agencies. We ran safely into a corridor that connected the lower lobby to the loading dock. When the tower hit, the smoke and soot and powder and debris not only filled the lobby, but also the loading dock, and me and about 25 people were trapped. Breathing was our greatest concern. Uh, there was no visibility, and panic occurred. One of, somebody screamed in the crowd, Does anybody know the way out? And my colleague and I did. At that time, I reached into my trusty briefcase and pulled out two mag lights to give, that were given to me as presents. These two mag lights allowed me to shine a light onto the wall that led us out onto Washington Street, and 25 people were saved. He says, I will never leave without these two mini mag lights as long as I continue to live. See, this flashlight that was given to them led them out of trouble, and he's never going to leave without it. 
What is the description of the Word of God in Psalm 119, 105? Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Can I realize that I am in a dire situation every single day and every conflict has the opportunity to blow up and to be something that is destructive to relationships? But if I never leave home without the light that is going to get me out of every situation that I need, I think I'm going to be okay no matter what conflict comes. His Word is sufficient. His Word is powerful. We need to go to it and trust it to solve every conflict, and we're going to be okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for an opportunity to look at your word in all that it says, God, about uh, understanding conflict, understanding our nature, understanding what it means to live for the glory of God. And Lord, my prayer is that we would adopt the mindset that the word is going to get us out of everything. And so, Father, would you please help us to adopt this mindset? Would you please help us to live for your honor and glory? And in all that we do, God, would you please uh, take the praise? And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, let me do a little, uh, oh, smattering of applause right there. Thank you. One, two, and three. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to give another round of applause to our two guest panelists tonight, Chip and Chris Paschal. Can you guys come up here? Jeremiah, why don't you go ahead and flash the uh, number on the board? You can text your questions if you had any questions about what I said. I know I talked really fast. I drank some coffee beforehand. I'm sorry. Um, text questions you have about that. Maybe questions about conflicts that you have right now. Maybe try not to use one another's names if they're in the room. It might be good. Um, but we want to be helpful to you. Uh, and the reason I asked these two to come in is they are a part of our biblical counseling program here um, at the church. Chip, can you give us just a little bit of, you want to introduce your wife, you can introduce her a little Hi, bit more. I'm Chip, and this is my wife, Chris. It's Chris, thank you so much. And you guys are part of our biblical counseling program here at the church. We are, and Pastor Lucas heads up that ministry. Yeah. Um, uh, Nancy McManus is on staff. She's uh, heads over the uh, biblical counseling for women. Right. Is that, did I say that right? Yeah. And um, the, so the, the pastors uh, handle the, the couples counseling for the most part. And um, when singles come or, or uh, members of a married couple who, for one reason or another, want one-on-one uh, counseling, someone to help them think biblically through an issue, um, I, we have some men who counsel men, and we have some women who counsel women. Okay, yeah, very good. And the counseling ministry, you want to emphasize, is not something to ever look upon with shame, like, oh, i got to go get counseling. It's, it's commanded in Scripture that we do this. We should counsel one another. Uh, it's, it's a good thing to do. So we wanna, one of the reasons for bringing them in here is to highlight, hey, we've got people here who want to help you, want to care for you. The pastors want to do that. Nancy wants to do that. We're people who want to do that at the church, so we're here to help you. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of sense, uh, yeah. the, one of the Scriptures that's the basis for the whole thing, and there are several, but I was thinking of Romans 15, 14. Paul says, I'm confident that you are able to instruct one another. Absolutely. Um, so it's something that we all as Christians have a responsibility to do, to and that's uh, the Greek word they taught us, uh, nuthateo, which is uh, variously translated um, admonish, instruct, encourage. Mm-hmm. So really that's what you're coming for is just encouragement, right. instruction, admonishment. Help me think about this biblically really is what it's about. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, we got questions coming in right away, so we want to make sure we take advantage of the time. I'll read it. You guys give your shot at it, and then I'll come in and clean up any mess that you guys make. Okay, so don't worry about that. I'll be here for you in that sense. Okay, here's the question. If a couple is having trouble with their leadership and submissive roles, what advice can you give the leadership uh, that feels a little bit more like a dictatorship? 
if you could shed some light on the major differences between, I'm assuming, dictatorship leadership and sacrificial leadership, and how the wife can help submit in that situation. So maybe, Chip, you can take the dictatorship leadership uh, versus what servant leadership is in the Bible, and then maybe, Chris, you can come alongside with, the, uh, uh, with helping the wife through that, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I, was, I would think. I would, I would um, say to the, to the husband, certainly our example is Jesus Christ, and he was a servant leader. He, say my, he said to his disciples, I came not to be served, but to serve. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike said at a marriage conference um, a while back that uh, it, most of the problems, 98% of the problems that people come to counseling for could be solved if couples really just had this vision that we're in marriage to serve one another, mm-hmm. and, and that should be our focus. So that's the first thing I would say. That's very good. Yeah, and in that sense, when you, when you have a husband in that role, um, what I want to say outside of that is guys in accountability here. We need to always instruct one another for care for sisters in Christ around us that we're really taking this call seriously. That's going to be very helpful in the situation because sometimes it, it's tough for the wife to bring up this if the, if the guy is really a dictator in that sense. And it's, it's sin to do that. Let me just make sure it's very clear. It's sin to do that, to be a dictator and come in and do that. So guys in accountability, we really have responsibility to look out for one another and say, you should be leading, you should be sacrificing, and it must look like Christ, and let's encourage one another to do that. So my response is, hey, we have an accountability, guys as a whole, to be able to respond to it in that sense. Um, yeah, so maybe Chris, now you can come and help Let's say a wife's in that situation, which happens a lot. What would be some counsel that you might give her in that sense? Well, I think that I would first talk to her about um, submission and what that means, that she's not to be a doormat, Mm -hmm. but that she is to lovingly and respectfully um, cooperate with her husband. And even if he is being... um, overbearing, unfair, possibly, um, I don't know, angry and, um, and causing her to feel, um, underappreciated, then And she she has a lot of experience. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell. Yeah, she's really dealing with a guy like that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then she, she needs to keep her focus on Christ because in that situation, you're going to feel wronged, and you're going to want to come back in anger, and that will never serve you well. So I think it's best to um, plan ahead and and know that you're going to submit whether or not it's fair, Mm -hmm. and that you're that you're going to overlook the offense if necessary, mm. and you can speak up in it and say how you feel and try to cooperate with yeah. him, but you, bottom line is you need to submit anyway. Well, see, what's very good about what you said is, is you plan that in advance, and oftentimes it's when crisis comes and we haven't thought about what we should do or how we should react to these certain things. If I'm at least resolving before the conflict happens, good chances it's going to happen when that actually comes. So if the wives in here take a look at what the scriptures are saying and say, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to resolve to do this, that's going to be a very, very helpful um, thing in that sense. And I think of, here's a classic scripture on that. It's 1 Peter 3, 1. Uh, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the gentle and pure conduct of his wife. And that becomes a very 
a purposeful statement for what you're doing at that point in time. We're not asking you to just sit there and grunt and bear it. We're asking you to do what the scriptures are saying is going to win your husband over eventually your gentle and pure conduct at that point in time. And so I'm really hoping that you see that as a valuable thing because you know what? Later on in the passage it says God views that as very precious. And I would rather have God view me as doing something very precious even if I'm not getting what I should be getting here. Um, I'd rather have God view me very, very precious. And just to put it another way, to think um, sin will never win over sin. Sin will always win when sin fights sin. So if the husband is being overbearing, that's sinful. And the wife says, well, then I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. That's two people sinning. There's, the only possibility is sin will win. If somebody steps up and says, I'm going to do what the Bible says, there is hope. And we know the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we and, can... and we spent a lot of time on the wife's side there, but there's so much that more that could be said to that husband. Yeah. Christ is your example. Absolutely. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as right. Christ loved the church who right. gave himself for her. Right. Uh, people love the... Some guys just love that part in Ephesians where it says, wives, submit to right. your husbands. I don't know why, but they just love that part. Right. But they miss the part where it says, submit to one another in love. Right. It, it, we're both responsible to... to to balance that out, and and the um, you know the the if you think that this is your style, your pattern of of, of being overbearing in a marriage is godly, yeah. then I would just encourage you to again imitate Christ. He's he intercedes for us. Yeah. So I would urge you if you think you're being godly and your wife's not responding to you properly. Go to God and pray about it. Right. Pray and ask God to change her. I think He'll change you. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And to what you were saying earlier, to kind of combine the two things, if you go to your husband and just say, you know, it, it just feels like I can't do anything right. It feels so oppressive. Hopefully the husband hears what I've said tonight and said, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray and let's ask, you know what, sweetie, I, I genuinely want you to know I'm really striving to do what God wants me to do. Let's pray about it right now. That's going to be a great way to kind of resolve that whole thing after all. Here's a, actually a very good question right here. It says, how do you handle... When your spouse is very knowledgeable when it comes to the scripture uh, and how to serve and love you, yet they continually treat you in an unloving way. So how would you, how would you handle that if you're in the situation, we're not counseling them right now, you're just thinking, hey, I'm dealing with someone and they're very knowledgeable, but it seems like their knowledge isn't helping or isn't being lived out in application. What do you guys think if you were, if you were to help somebody in that situation? I think what I would say first would be this. I think I would be say, okay, there's a chance that that person is more knowledgeable than you and that they are not living out what they know in Scripture. But my first concern is what I said tonight. Are you sure you're living out everything you know in Scripture? That will be the first thing I would instruct them to do in that sense. Because maybe there's a call to be patient that you know, patient that you know, and maybe that's God's just testing you in that and he's trying to cause you to endure in that sense. God is doing so many different things at every single opportunity that maybe if I just step back and say, okay, am I doing everything I can first, and then I'll start to be concerned with what's going on over there. Have you guys run across anybody in counseling who seems to know a lot but not apply a lot? Do you come across that at all? Sure. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. How do, you, how do, how do either one of you handle that when it, when it comes in the counseling office? Well, I have a friend, not, not a counselee, but a friend who um, she loves to, to go to the scripture all the time. She is knowledgeable about the scripture, um, but she tends to um, speak up with scripture too often, and it's 
it's a good thing if you're not using it against using it improperly, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> so you got to be very careful when that happens because if I'm coming with a scripture and I'm I'm eliminating the power of the scripture if it's not treated properly in that sense. We got to be careful. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. They knew the word, but he says, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God behind it because you're interpreting it uh, improperly. So we need to be, be careful at that. Yeah, yeah, and you just I, I can't would s- always be using scripture right. when you're trying to have a relationship right. and interact with someone. You right. can't be um, using it too much. No. I, and I think especially in a church that emphasizes Bible Very teaching, point, we can yeah. really get into the whole theology part and get really knowledgeable about the Bible right. and maybe forget, maybe lose our mooring from that from that uh, amazement we have in the gospel itself. Yeah. And, I, and I think as we apply ourselves and plant our roots down in the gospel on a regular basis, right. and we realize my sins are forgiven, my, uh, he's not going to count my iniquities against me anymore. I, mm. I, though I was red as scarlet, I'm washed white as snow. To the extent that I'm amazed every day at the gospel and that the gospel applies to me, right. um, uh, I, I'm I'm much much less likely to be uh, overbearing or overpowering, no matter how much I think I know about the word. Right, and to beat somebody down with scripture when yeah. I realize I've been the recipient of a bunch of grace. Maybe one thing to tie up this whole question would be this: uh, if if this is the case, you think you're in, uh, you know, your spouse knows a lot about the word and they can quote it uh, verbatim, uh, but they just don't seem to be living it out in that sense. Uh, you could just open up a discussion, open it up without casting a judgment, and just say this. Hey, let's go to 1 Corinthians 8.1, okay? It's very clear that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, okay? We're both in agreement on that, okay? So we're coming to a point where we're both in agreement. And just say, what do you think, you're saying to your spouse, what do you think is the greatest evidence that your knowledge of Scripture is edifying uh, other people? Where do you think that that would be most manifested? Hopefully the spouse would say, well, my knowledge being manifested at helping people would be most manifested in my own house at first. It would be, okay. Uh, can I offer my opinion on how I think that that's going? And all we're doing is we're not making judgments. We're just talking about statements. And if they can't get on board with that in that sense, then I would say probably small group leader, maybe pastoral leadership might need to come in and say, hey, it seems like this spouse says you're quoting the word but not living it out. Can we have a conversation about it at that point in time? But we've not made any judgments. We've come in and just said, can we have a conversation about it? And that might be a helpful way to uh, do that. Uh, this was a good one I saw, and it's probably very uh, timely with all that's going on. How do you resolve conflict with a family member who isn't saved, especially when the offender is the, the family member? So the person who's not saved has done the offending. Have you guys ever had that in your life? Have you ever counseled somebody with that that way, that uh, there's somebody who's unsaved in that? And that's a very difficult situation because they're not sharing the same values. They're not sharing the same standards. Have you ever come across that? Have you ever counseled anyone like that? No, but um, but I, I, I immediately think of First um, Corinthians seven yeah. when Paul's talking about the wife who's married to an un- unbelieving That's husband yeah. and how uh, she ought to respond and 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 the husband could learn from that too right. if it's a, if it's a guy a guy could learn from that and we just never should expect a sinner to not sin so we have, we can't expect them to be godly we can't expect them to act like a Christian if they're unsaved and they're sinners they're going to be sinful right. and and our focus ought not to be on changing their behavior or changing their words or changing their attitude but in getting the gospel to them and, and praying that they respond to the gospel. That's ultimately what we're, we're hoping to do at that point in time. We understand their condition. And again, it would be us understanding our benefited condition because of what Jesus did and knowing that we ultimately want this person who's offended us 
um, to get saved. And one of the best ways we can do that is if you try to lead towards reconciliation. They, they still understand the concept of forgiveness. They still understand the concept of hurting someone. So just go and try to talk to them at first. If they are defensive, if they don't want to do that, then you, it's not in the sense to say, you know, casting your pearls before swine and you don't ever have to talk to them about it anymore, but you don't want to beat your head up against the wall. You can expect them to sin. Okay, you don't agree with me. I can move on and I can be in a place, and here's where you have to stay, ready to forgive you if you ever want to come back that way. It's Nehemiah 9.16, just an incredible statement, probably one to think about. If that's the situation you're in, you've got unsaved family members um, going on, listen to this. This is Nehemiah 9.16 through 21. It talks about all the bad stuff that Israel did to God coming out of the wilderness. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't follow me. You didn't believe me. This was going on. But that phrase right after that, but you are a God still ready to forgive those people who were doing all that stuff to you. In fact, if you read Psalm 95, that generation, God looks at and says, I hate what that generation does. I loathe them. But yet he was still kind to them afterwards. That's what the rest of Nehemiah is about, 916 to 21. You gave us food. You took care of us. We were never without anything. Even though we've done all this stuff against you, you left yourself a great witness of your compassion, love, kindness, and grace. So who in your family can you look at and say, okay, I've brought this to them. They don't agree. They're actually treating me really bad. What do you think I could do to bless them? 1 Peter 3.8, do not return reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called that you might obtain a blessing. That's what you're called to as a Christian, uh, living the life that way. Now, so that's how we would probably handle that one. You guys got anything to add to that? Pretty good. Okay, well, thanks. I appreciate that. You could say that's pretty good into the mic so they can hear that. That's pretty know. good. Thank Pastor, you very much. Pastor Mike Elliott. Just so that they could know that you thought that was a good answer. Where's the camera? My pride is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Okay. Um, in regards to the first question, this is a response to one we said to see if we can help clarify. What is the difference between being a doormat and submitting regardless uh, to a husband who's a dictator. That's probably good. Maybe we can describe that a, a little bit more. What's the difference between being a doormat and just rolling over and uh, being a submissive wife even if he is a dictator? What do you think? Well, if you're a doormat, um, you, don't, you don't have any feelings about it. You, you are just taking good point. Wh- whatever comes. Yeah. But if you are a submissive wife... You have a plan, mm. and you are looking at the situation as to how you can please Christ in it. That's very good. And so what you do is you submit out of obedience to Christ, and, and, and you're thinking it through, right. but you're handling it with compassion right. and the, love. The doormat is acquiescing, there's no hope, or my only hope is my husband's happiness, so I'm going to do that. But the submissive wife is doing things for a purpose. That's, that's a very good point. I'm doing this because I know it's going to honor Christ, and I know it's going to help the situation. It matters a lot, too, the nature of what she's being asked to submit to. Oh, very, that's if, a great if point. It's a, if it's just a preference, sure. if it's kind of a gray area. Yeah. But if it's a moral issue, yes. Pastor Mike has said we need to submit to those in authority over us unless doing so would cause us to sin, would right. cause us to disobey God. Right. That's definitely a, a no-no. That's the standard. That's a great point that you bring that up. Yeah, you can get to the moral nature of the quality like... Hey, hey, sweetie, I, I don't want you to go to church anymore. I want you to be with me on a Sunday. Well, scriptures are very clear. I can't forsake the assembling of the saints together. So as much as you want me to do that, I've got to obey what God has me to do um, in that sense. So you've got to watch those different things. But yeah, things like, hey, uh, I want dinner on the table by this point in time, and I'm going to make sure this happens, and blah, blah, blah. 
the more that you can submit with a purpose saying, okay, I'm going to handle with excellence what is given to me, that is going to make the situation go a lot better. Um, yeah. Here, here's a good one. This can often uh, bring up conflicts. Uh, how should a wife handle her husband being, I, I would assume, unwilling to share his feelings? She said, the, she said willing, willing to share his feelings, but becomes disinterested or even angered uh, when she tries to share how she feels and often ends the conflict by walking away. Okay, maybe, let me read the whole thing again. How should a wife handle her husband being willing to share his feelings but becomes disinterested or even angered when she tries to share her feelings and often ends by just walking away? So how would you counsel the wife in that situation who it sounds like is trying to make an appeal? Well, I think that as women, um, we have a lot more words and we can... Use that a woman to said our that, not me. Just to make that clear, <laughs> when the tape is shown, that was said by Chris, not Pastor Elliot. Sweetie, I think you talk just a normal amount. That's great. You do a great job. Just so we're, we're all clear. I don't want any conflict in the house tonight. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a verbal advantage, and I think we don't realize that we can roll over our husbands sometimes in um, over-speaking, yeah. in... Um, trying to teach him, t talking too much, and I think it's important to listen to him as well yeah. and to be careful that you're um, mm. opening yourself up to try to really understand him instead of just talking at him. Yeah, well, that's a very, that, that's trying to hit on what I was bringing up in that first point. This woman, I'm assuming she's in this situation right now. Uh, you're calling her to first look and say, hey, maybe he's walking away disinterested because whenever you get the floor, you're just talking way too much in that sense, and you're not allowing him as much as you think you are. So take the honest assessment to say, okay, let me pray about this. Let me think about this. I've got a thought. Do you want to add anything to no, that? Before I was just going to add, we use bullet points at work a lot, mate, so maybe bullet point it for him. I've, yeah. I've had people do that in counseling. No. Bam, bam, bam. That's what I'm talking about right here. Yeah. You write it down, and it's clear. It's right there. No, bullet points are helpful in that sense. Yeah. Slideshow, PowerPoint is good. <laughs> click, click, click. You can add emoticons and things like that. Very, very helpful in that sense. That's how we solve it in the Elliott household, PowerPoint. Um, here's, here's what I would say to that before I lose you guys, which I might have already done um, in that sense. Uh, here, is, here is a great thing. One, I want to say this overall. I probably should have caveated this at the beginning. Um, here's what Proverbs says. It's Proverbs 18. Whoever uh, brings this case first seems right until the other person comes in. We're getting a perspective from somebody in a situation here right now, and that is their perspective on the situation. Uh, so know that we're giving answers in response to these questions based off of just one side of the story. We're trying to be as accurate as possible as we can. But if I would commend everybody in the room to hear the questions this way and not justify themselves and say, oh, I, I don't do that. But to pray to God, please help me never to do that. If it's a sinful thing, not, oh, I know I don't do that, but the humble heart to say, God, help me never to do that. And when I have that disposition, it's going to make it a lot better than assuming, no, there's no way that that's me. I'm going to do it that way. But something I would just say, if this is genuinely the case, your husband comes, he tells you everything that he wants, but he won't give you the time of day. I know that hurts because it's your husband. I know he should be there for you. But if I could just talk to you about what prayer is for a moment, I can tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt, the God of the universe is interested in what you have to say. So if your husband won't listen to you, here's Psalm 62, 8. Pour out your heart before God. 
God wants you to do that to him. And if God wants to hear you, who cares if your jerk of a husband won't listen, okay? <laughs> and I say that, again, not because I'm accusing somebody specifically of that, but if you are a husband and you are not listening to your wife, you are a jerk and you need to listen. But I'm telling the wife, you don't need to force yourself, okay? Go talk to God. God wants to listen to you. God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins so he can have free, you can have free access to him. He wants you to talk to him. Why not go pour out your heart before God um, in that sense? All right. Um, let's see. Uh, how about this one? Oh, I have one more thing Oh, go to for say. it. Yeah, please. Ask him questions instead. Okay. Get, um, come up with some good questions and try to draw him out. Okay. And try to understand him. Be, the focus should be to understand. Right, yeah, you're trying to understand him more. And maybe the more that you are on his side and say, oh, yeah, I'm with you. Maybe he'll be more receptive to ask you the same thing. Okay, very good. Any tips on how to deal with someone who is passive aggressive? Any tips on how to do that? Well, I was, so maybe she could answer. Okay, hey <laughs> All right. Passive aggressive tips to anybody. Or do you, would you, you could also recommend too, if you guys know that that is a temptation for you, tips of how you got yeah. yourself out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just. Uh, was it pre-salvation you were saying or was it at the beginning of your salvation? Yeah, it was or? a little bit of both. Right? I, okay. I think when I, I got saved in 2004, we'd been married about seven years okay. then and. And after I got saved, um, before, before I got saved, I thought the conflict in our marriage was all her fault. Um, I, I thought she was overly sensitive and she didn't think right about things. Mm. And then I got saved. Yeah. <laughs> and in his grace, God showed me that it was mostly my fault. Um, and partly that was uh, reading through um, Galatians 5 and reading about the fruit of the Spirit and mm. recognizing in myself I didn't have a lot of fruit. And what's amazing is when, if you are all by yourself, you can imagine you have all kinds of great fruit. Mm. But the light is really shown on the tree during times of conflict. That's Absolutely. when you really see that the fruit is not there. And I, I read the list. I memorized it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control because I wanted it so bad. I wanted to see those things. I prayed it every day. And, and uh, I... Uh, I um, I don't know if it's good exegesis, but I, I stumbled upon Psalm 1. Uh, it talks about the righteous man is the one who, who uh, uh, loves the law of the Lord, meditates on it day and night, and he's like a tree planted by streams of water, uh, bears its fruit in season, and its leaf doesn't wither. And I went, oh, okay, I see God's agricultural plan for bearing fruit in the Christian is meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Right. And by the grace of God, when I got saved, I had a love for the Word of God that I never huh. had before. Yeah. And so I, that, it was a fairly easy thing to kind of make sure that I spent time in the Word on a regular sure. basis. And suddenly, I started noticing times when I would have been impatient, I would have uh, lashed out and, and gotten angry, and suddenly I saw peace and patience and kindness that wow. wasn't there before. Yeah, oh, very good. Uh, so, I, yeah, I would, to add to that, I'm in total agreement. If that is your struggle, your propensity is to be more the passive-aggressive in that sense, the more that you are going to put Scripture into your mind, the more you're going to not only see what God wants, but you're going to begin to think the way that God thinks. That's ultimately what the redeemed mind is trying to do, trying to think the thoughts of God after God, making sure I know what He wants, and I can do that. Here's the great benefit. Uh, his leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. You're going to find prosperity in doing that, in following the things after God, so we want to do that. But if your spouse is the passive-aggressive person, um, 
Here's a number of different ways. I, I guess it would be, it's depending on whether you're the husband or the, the wife in that sense. I would say from the husband's perspective, if your wife is, is passive aggressive in that sense, uh, it's not going to ever hinder your leadership in the home if you are doing it God's way. If she's passive aggressive, there are going to be digs at you, but here's 1 Peter 2.21. When Christ, or 22, when Christ was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to God. So if your wife is passive-aggressive, what you can do is state where you want to go, give her an opportunity to speak. If she backhandedly demeans you, say, okay, I know where God wants me to go. I don't need to engage in this right now. And we're going to see if you winning her over with the right amount of godliness is going to change her perspective and say, you know what, I shouldn't have said it that way. If she is a Christian... You can sit down with her, and you can point it out directly. See, you don't be passive-aggressive about it if she's a Christian. Hey, sweetie, do you realize that when you passively-aggressively do this, it is not only countercultural to what the Bible tells us. We should rebuke one another openly. We should come and lay out sins. If I'm sinning and you're trying to rebuke me, do so straight so I don't miss it. You're going about it a, a backhanded way as if you are, are trying to, to shame or hurt me in that sense. So that's how I would handle it from the husband's perspective to the wife. Do you have any tips if, if a husband is passive-aggressive? Have you ever counseled anyone in that way or dealing with your own? Well, um, basically, I, I have dealt with passive-aggressive just briefly, but um, if you're passive-aggressive, it's kind of a nice way of saying you're angry right. or bitter. Right. So I would say that you would deal with that biblically, from the perspective that it's, it's anger, right. and it needs to be... It's um, a good point. It's coming from a position of anger at that point in time. So let's identify what the real root issue of that is. This is an anger, and I want to dig at you somehow. I'm going to do it veiled so it's not so noticeable, right. but yeah, it's still anger. We'll just call it what it is at that point in time. Very good. Okay. Um, we wish we had... There's more questions here. I wish we had more time to answer it. Final question. Uh, Pastor Elliot, why are you so great? And I... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mark Vosper wrote that. I'm not sure why, but I don't know, Mark, okay? You, you text that. No, he didn't actually text that. Um, that's just my way of saying we don't have any more questions we can answer. Can we thank Chip and Chris for coming this evening? And I would encourage you, if you were sending in questions and we didn't get to yours, and you really have a burden, one, either ask your small group leader, talk to your mentor couple, Come set up a time with these guys here at the church. They would love to help you or set up time with the pastor, and we'll try to set, it, uh, set up a time for you. But I'm going to pray, and then we've got to go run over and get our kiddos. God, thank you so much for a night where we understand that we have a responsibility to take a look at our lives and walk uh, as obedient children uh, in your presence in holiness. So, Father, I pray that we would take advantage of that each and every day by depending on your spirit. And then, God, we would be about the business of what uh, Galatians says, that we who are spiritual have an obligation to restore those who are not in a spirit of gentleness. So help us to always have that as we move forward. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.